welcome to the second episode of Murder, She Don't, where we watch horror movies because I love them and she don't. And then we talk about them because I love talking and he don't. I guess that's true. Uh, today we're talking about The Shining, and I feel like this episode's going to be great. <laughs> the Shining is uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick and based on the novel by Stephen, Stephen King. King. I want to go ahead and put a list of sensitivities at the beginning so that if you are prone to these sensitivities, maybe you don't pick this one. The two that I came up with for The Shining are domestic violence or domestic abuse, really, and child abuse. So those two things, if you're super sensitive to either one of those, then pass on this one. Okay, so the quick synopsis of this film is that it is a ghost movie, a ghost story, uh, also a psychological drama. Jack Torrance gets hired on as a caretaker for the Overlook Hotel, where he's going to be stuck there from, I forget the beginning date, until uh, May 1st. It's something like five or six months. An interesting thing, we watched it after midnight on May 1st, so it was really kind of eerie. He moves his uh, wife and son to the hotel, and things start going weird. The son has a psychic ability that he doesn't really know much about. But he meets this character, Halloran, and he has what he calls the shining as well. That's what he calls the power. And so this is the first time this boy is meeting somebody that has the same power, and I really enjoyed that whole conversation. I was creeped out by him at first, but he really becomes a mentor in the very short, I don't know, what would you say, 15 minutes that he actually interacted with the child. Yeah, I mean, in actual he, film time, he's probably there for 10 or 15 minutes at the most. But He meets Halloran. He learns a little bit about the ability that he has. He starts to understand it just a little bit, which is beneficial because things start happening in the hotel and basically they're a little bit psychic a little bit uh rock and roll a little bit psychic a little <laughs> bit rock and roll and they can see things in the past and they can also see things that are coming up so it's basically the the setup of this and it's the story of the family of three we have Wendy, played by Shelley Duvall, Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson, Danny Torrance, Torrance played, played by, by Danny Lloyd, I think? Danny Lloyd, because Lloyd is another character mm -hmm. in, in the movie, but not one of the main characters. So, you have these three main characters, and it's their adventure? You want it to be. <laughs> they want it to be an adventure, and it ends up not being what they thought it was going to be. Jack is a writer and thinks that this retreat will allow him a lot of time to write, or I guess he's an aspiring writer more than a writer, former school teacher, kind of a not really sure what he's going to do with his future, but wants to write. And Wendy doesn't have a job that we know of. It's never mentioned in the thing, but she reads a lot. Yes, the beginning scene with uh, Wendy and Danny, there's a great, like, the, the room is set up really well. It's piles of books everywhere you get to know wendy that way that she's somebody who reads a lot she's someone who takes care of danny she's your typical kind of 70s housewife kind of personality mousy and quiet bookish and even though there's not signs of physical abuse the abuse of wendy i think is more psychological emotional abuse however there is a moment where i think something has happened in the past well they do <laughs> mention the that Jack had a incident with Danny sometime in the past where he dislocated his shoulder while he was inebriated. So Because of that, he does find sobriety. I think when the movie starts, he's something like four or five months sober. Right. So in the scene where we meet Danny and Wendy, uh, we also meet the fourth member of their family. And this is what they call an imaginary friend, but it's not necessarily so. It is... A child's interpretation of his ability and it's Tony and it's that's where you get the red rum red rum uh, he's the little, the little boy that's inside of Danny's mouth yes that's how he explains him he's Tony is the boy that lives inside my mouth he does his little finger waggle and talks through the finger until he doesn't until Danny is no longer present and then he's just free to talk through Danny's body hmm. but that's getting a little ahead of ourselves let's talk about iconic imagery scenes well some Danny's, of the shots that we so enjoyed. danny's first shining moment was when they're at the uh, apartment talking to tony in the mirror 
and he starts having flashes of the future of what's going to happen at the hotel, right? Because this is the first time we see the blood elevator. Famous, super famous shot. Elevator opens up. Tons of blood starts pouring out and flooding the hallway. But it doesn't look like blood. So blood has a viscosity that is not what it is. But it's a horror film and it is very strong imagery and it is iconic. It's been parodied a hundred times through pop culture and it is a really cool shot. It moves furniture. It looks kind of like red wine, which is a great place to start our theme food discussion. Get you some red wine and you'll be the hit of the party. So he sees that. He also sees a vision of the twins. So I is don't... Is that during the scene? Yes. That's the first time you see... It, they're not twins. I'm sorry. One's eight and one's ten. They're very close in age. They look They dress similar. the same. They dress the same. I always thought they were twins. They are not. Fun fact. So the blue dressed girls and the blood elevator are the two kind of iconic scenes that begins this whole ruckus and that's before we know he gets the job that's before they move that's before everything after he gets the job and they move into the hotel they move in the closing day of the hotel and everybody else is leaving it's just this one family taking over the entire estate and it is a huge, lavish hotel. Enormous. It is very grandiose. It's very 1970s. It has that iconic, speaking of iconic imagery, that carpet. One of my friends actually has a cardigan with that print on it. So it has been iconicized in more ways than one. It jumps forward about a month. And you see Wendy pushing this cart through hallways and out of elevators to their apartment in the workers quarters basically they have this little apartment for the people who are overseeing the hotel it just goes to show the enormity of the hotel the overlook and she brings him eggs and bacon great sunny side up eggs he dips the bacon in another idea for food but here's the thing when you see jack nicholson in that scene you think oh i'm seeing him through a doorway it is not until you see Shelley Duvall, who's playing Wendy, in the reflection of the mirror that you think it's the mirror. And I think it is very symbolic of the duplicitous, duplicitousness of Jack Nicholson's character, Jack Torrance. So that I had him back it up and rewind it so I could watch that scene again because it messed with my mind a little bit. And it was a great angle, a great shot, and it just kind of... I don't know. It threw me for a loop. So it's, it kind of sets you off the... You think you're going one way, and that's kind of what the movie is trying to do, is un, make you uneasy, because you're not sure... Right. ...which way you're going. This is also around the time that we get to see the awesome Danny riding his big wheel through the halls, and everything's just so big around him, and it, you, you make, it makes you feel very small. It makes you feel very powerless in this gigantic mansion, this 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 hotel... It's like three mansions put together. Yeah. And it's a kid's dream to drive his big wheel around that big of an area. But I think we need to explain, we haven't gone into, who the two girls are. Uh, so, when Jack is being interviewed by uh, Benny or whatever his name is for the job, uh, he they tell him the story of... Uh, what what was happened name? 10 years what ago. What happened in 1970. Right. So the movie is set in 1980. This happened in 1970 with this, the family that was chosen to overlook the, the overlook, overlook. Uh, during the winter months that year. And the, the there was a the father, the two daughters, and his wife. And over the course of the winter, he, they called it, I think, cabin fever, and took one of the axes and murdered his family and stacked them neatly in one of the rooms and so the, the the twin imagery or the twins or the the not twins the grady sisters i guess sure um but by the way the murderer's name was grady i can't remember his first name right now it's not delbert because that's the other one but so after he stacks them neatly in one of the rooms he goes into another part of the hotel and takes his life uh with a shotgun basically it was just this horrific incident that happened and for legal reasons they had to disclose it to jack 
uh, Jack was very kind of off-put by this. But again, he has a goal in mind. He later tells Wendy, the first time I set foot in the hotel, I felt like I had been there before. And so everything is peaches and cream until they tell him this, and then he just kind of sweeps it under the rug. It's very important for you to know the two girls are basically the Grady sisters, and Danny later sees them standing at the end of the hallway, um, and then he sees them in the aftermath of when they were It murdered. kind of flashes back and forth between the sisters standing there, and I think they say, come play with us or something like that. And then you see them in the hallway kind of twisted on the floor with blood everywhere. And it kind of flashes back and forth. You just see quick glimpses of it. He is terrified, but because he had met Halloran and had that 15-minute interaction with him over chocolate ice cream, red wine and chocolate ice cream, like, that is a great movie night. But the chocolate ice cream conversation built up his confidence in that he understood his power a little bit more, and it didn't terrify him so much. He knew that the images he was seeing were, as he describes them, like pictures in a book. And so he kind of talks himself down from that terror. So anyway, there's a lot of play with time. Kubrick uses these slides, or these transition slates, mm -hmm. very reminiscent of silent films, where it's black background, white text, the first thing you see after you watch Jack in his car driving up the mountain, which gave me motion sickness. That's the opening scene of the movie. It was beautifully shot, but it was meant to disorient you, and it achieved that for me. But anyway, after that, you see black background, white text, the interview. And it's this movie is very good at not showing its hand. You have to pay attention to the dialogue, and I love things like that. It's very much, it reads like a play. And if I could say something about the slates really quick, what I really like about those is that it kind of messes with your perception of how time is passing because the interview happens and happens really quick. And then the next slate is, what is it, like two closing weeks later, day. Or closing day. And then the next slate is one month later. And then the next day slate is Saturday. And then the next slate is Monday. Or, you know what I mean? Like right. it jumps. You don't know if that's the Saturday directly after a month. So it could be two weeks, a month and two weeks Saturday or whatever. It's not very specific in that. But it becomes frantic at the end where it's like Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And like it, it throws those days at you. You know, it, it's meant to pick up pace. It's almost like the Jaws theme. And you know something's about to happen because it's getting more and more frequent that they're slating it. So yeah, this is the part where if you want to watch the movie and you haven't yet and you don't want it to be spoiled, stop listening now because we're about to go into the... But do watch it. I I would recommend this one. Yes, he would. Uh, we're about to talk about the the last part of the movie. Where should we start with that? Uh, so Halloran before had warned him that room 237, because Danny had seen that number in his mind or something... He asked him about it, and he was like, you need to stay away from that room. There's nothing in there that's any of your business. Hot, whatever. And then he comes across the room later on, and I think it's opened up at this point, just randomly opened up for some he, reason. He drives by it once on his three-wheeler, and then you're like, ooh, that's the room. And he, like, that. right after that is when he sees the two sisters. And then it flashes back and forth, and he kind of talks himself down. So, but then the second time we see him go past it, it is no longer closed. It has the key in the door, and it's the door is ajar. So it's not wide open, but it's open enough that you know a little kid is going to go in. So it cuts away from him when he actually starts going in, and it cuts to uh, Wendy. And I think she's on the phone or something, or trying to get on the phone, but the phone lines are down. Um, she contacts the ranger station. They say, keep your, ranger, or keep your CB radio on. Uh, but she starts hearing this, like, huh, huh really loudly coming from the room that Jack's writing in, like kind of like the main lobby. And so she starts running towards over there and she finds him asleep and he's, uh, she wakes him up and he's, he's yelling and you know, he's had this horrible nightmare where he has killed Wendy and Danny and he's just really freaked out by it. So he she's is visibly distraught. He is flop sweating. He's very distressed. Really good piece by Jack Nicholson here where he later on in the movie, he becomes so ruthless, but this part it's actually, you feel bad for him, but 
So she's trying to calm comfort, him down. comfort him or calm him down. And Danny walks in, and you just, just kind of see him from the behind. You don't really get to see him. He's in shadow. You don't get to see him very well. And pause. I'm sorry. I have to mention it. The sweater that he's wearing when he goes into room 237 is the greatest sweater I've ever seen. And I need to know where I can get one. It looks homemade. And I need to, like, I knit somewhat. I need to know if there's a pattern out there for it. But it's an Apollo 11 sweater. And it has, like the surface of the moon or whatever and it's just really cool and I mentioned the sweater and then you see the back of him walking towards his mom and so she's like I'm I'm comforting like go on to your room I'll be with you in a minute I'm comforting dad or whatever and he keeps walking towards her deliberately but slowly you start to see that his clothes are disheveled disheveled askew and they ripped the dang sweater (laughs) I'm so mad. It was such a, not like I could fit it because it was tiny, but it was a great sweater. Anyway. So Wendy sees him and she, she, you know, freaks out and uh, he's got bruising along the neck. His shirt is torn. His sweater is torn. And she runs over to him and he's not saying anything. So she automatically assumes that it was Jack. Of of course, he's the only person there. And then it cuts to sometime later and... Right after that, she takes him and whisks him away and is accusing Jack. Jack kind of comes to his senses a little bit because he's still reeling from his nightmare. He walks down the hallway towards the gold room. Now, this is a ballroom, but this one is the gold room, so it's a little bit more lavish than any other hotel ballroom. He's walking down the hall, and you can see him try to wrestle with it, and he is kind of considering like did I hurt him and I forgot about it or did she hurt him because she's the only one there like no that doesn't make sense she she takes care of him and who did this and how would he did he do it to himself you can see all of these thoughts cross all over Jack Nicholson's face great actor I enjoyed his performance so Jack goes into the gold room and starts walking up and I think he's talking to the bartender or talking to a bartender before he sees anyone there's nobody there um I think he's just speaking to the ether like I don't think he's specifically speaking to anybody yet but he's like I would give my soul for a glass of beer and then Lloyd appears Lloyd is the bartender at the overlook in the gold room and he starts talking to him and he's Talking about how rough he's had it and how... They play with time a lot because he's like, let's cheers to my five months of sobriety. And as the audience understands it, his sobriety happened because of the incident where he dislocated Danny's shoulder. But then later on in that monologue, which is just beautiful, he says, it happened three years ago. You would think she would let it go. And this is where I think there was an incident that happened maybe with her, where he became physically abusive at that point. Five months prior to when he's talking, he hurt Danny. So there's a pattern there, right? Because now there's two incidences, and he doesn't want to be that person, but he's that person. So he's talking to Lloyd, and he goes back to check on them. And she tells him, no, Danny told me it wasn't you. It was this crazy woman. You need to get her out. He goes, he's like, okay, you stay here. I'll go to 237. Goes to 237, opens up the room, and this is I, this is a really great setup room. I really like the way it looks. It's got that great 70s aesthetic. Really cool carpet in there. Awesome looking bathroom. Everything in this movie is just really, it's got such a style. Um, it's yeah, that, that style is penis. There's penises drawn in the carpet. So he goes to the bathroom. That's this really odd kind of green and he finds a beautiful woman in the bathtub taking a bath and she slowly gets out and it's probably the longest legs you've ever seen in your life she takes a full 30 seconds to stand all the way up like it is it is insane she Um, just keeps growing and she she steps out and goes over and starts just making out with him while he makes some of the weirdest faces in the movie that like this this i think the word you used was lecherous yeah he's he's very lecherous looking he's making some gross faces y'all so she gets out and starts making if out If Lust with had a face, that would be Jack Nicholson. A creepy face. <laughs> An extra creepy face. <laughs> oh, so creepy. Anyway, so he's uh, he's making out with this beautiful ghost woman and not questioning it, just like he didn't question talking to Lloyd, the ghost bartender. Yeah, no reaction whatsoever. This guy is, he's now talking to this guy that shouldn't be there, that wasn't there before, 
But he's like, okay, well, I'll talk to you. You're here. And now he's like, okay, I'll make out with you, even though I'm married and... You're here. You're here. And he looks in the mirror, and that's when he sees these kind of sores and saggy butt of the backside of this woman, who is no longer beautiful. She's handsome in her own right, but she is a much older woman than the woman he thought he was making out with. Before she makes out with somebody, there's some health issues I would like her to take care yes, of, Yes, definitely some sores all Open over Open wounds. I, it's just... <sighs> so he does that, and then he goes back to Wendy and says, oh, nobody was there. Nothing happened. Everything's fine. And I don't know why he lies. Like, the woman who hurt her son has no credibility. If he's worried that... She is gonna believe this woman if the woman tells her, oh, he made out with me, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's that's weird to me that he would lie. The only thing I could think of is he doesn't want to leave the hotel. The hotel already has its hooks in him because of Lloyd, because of this other interaction. And he wants to write this stupid book, and he has been putting it off. The scenes we see him beforehand when he's supposed to be writing, he's not writing. He's... Playing wall ball. Ashtray full of cigarettes. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that is the, when we see the scene where he's playing wall ball, we get to see the hedge maze, which will come yes. back later. A very cool scene. Great cut between the hedge maze of uh, Danny and Wendy walking through the hedge maze, and then there's a model of the hedge maze on the table. And when, it looks like you can see them in the hedge maze. And Jack looking down on them like he's above them, like some sort of god or some sort of, like, overseer. So anyway, back to the chronological kind of story. He tells him everything's fine, and then... He goes back to writing. He goes back to writing. All the while, he's making out with creepy ghost chick. His son is having a hell of a time in the bed. And so he his face is contorted like he's screaming. But he doesn't actually have to scream. And Wendy doesn't come in the room, so I don't think he actually emitted a sound. But I think he can see everything that is happening with his father. And I think he's trying to reach out to Halloran at that point because we do see Halloran. He's in Florida. And you see this kid just contort his face into a scream. And the score there is very high-pitched violins. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many bows those violinists went through. The score is very much like a kind of screechy setting on your... the kind of sitting on the edge of your teeth kind of... Very tense. Nails on a chalkboard type of situation. Wendy recognizes that he's not in a good way. She's trying to convince Jack we need to take the snowcat, which is a vehicle made to drive on snow. They have one that they're not expected to use unless for emergencies. She thinks this is an emergency, and he tells her, it's just like you to make something up, to make up a problem, to stop me from writing, to stop me from doing what I need to do. I have all of these responsibilities. Then she cowers away like an abused wife would. He goes out and goes back to the rose or the gold room, and it no, is it's a now full on party. It's a full on party. Everybody's in nineteen twenties attire, and we meet a butler who spills a drink on Jack and takes him to the bathroom to clean him up by the name of Delbert Grady. And you're thinking, Grady? Oh, okay, but it's not that Grady. It's his ancestor. Unless it is that Grady. Um, right. Like, the the whole thing has been very... It, some of it is very dreamlike or surreal. Yes, yeah, very surreal feel to the whole thing. Um, and Delbert takes uh, Jack into the restroom to clean him up after spilling drinks on him and starts telling him about, yeah, you've been the over, you've been the caretaker of the over, Overlook as long as I've been here. You've, you've been you're, here for... You've always you've been You've always here. been here, just like I've always been here. And then he's... Does Jack say something about him being the old caretaker? No. He does, doesn't he? And he goes, no, I'm the waiter or whatever, and that's I've always been here. Might come back later? Yeah. Towards the end? Uh, but he also starts telling him that his son has started contacting someone outside. And he uses the N-word because, yes, Halloran is played by Scatman Carruthers, and he is African-American. He's a black actor. And absolutely great in this movie. Yes, I didn't like him at first. He was very creepy. But then once Danny warmed up to him, I warmed up to him too. He tells him, your son has contacted somebody. And he goes, my son? And he goes, yes. And they say the N-word twice in this scene. I bristled up at it because I didn't think it was called for. However, the butler is from 1921. 
I originally thought that this was the Grady from 1970, and I was like, this is post the civil rights movement. This is like, you know better at that point. But he's the butler from, or the waiter from 1921. Jack- he's also a bad guy, so. Yeah, and, and Jack does repeat it, though, like it's no of no consequence to him either. I bristled at that, but... Uh, but yeah, Stephen King has talked about, or writes about race quite a bit for a Northwestern white guy. Mm-hmm. Or Northeastern, sorry. Northeastern white guy. And see, there's a way to do that tastefully, and I just don't... Yeah, I, I wouldn't say Stephen King does it tastefully most of the time. Right. He does it, but <laughs> I wouldn't say it's tasteful. <laughs> uh... Harper Lee was a white woman who wrote about race to kill a mockingbird. Is there anything better than Atticus Finch? I don't know. And this is where Jack Torrance goes and pulls the communicators out of the radio. Like transistors or something. He the, pops them out. Yeah. the A piece of the radio takes them out. We later find out he destroys the snowcat so there's no way out. They're kind of stuck. And he goes back to writing. Flashes forward to the next morning. Halloran has already called, see if he could make contact to the ranger's office, and they tried to radio the family. That is when Jack took out the bits that made the radio work. He knows that something's up. He gets on the first flight that he can, uh, calls somebody to make sure he can get a snowcat to get up to the mountain. Anyway, he's on his way. Love Halloran. So while he is on his trek, the planes, trains, and automobiles, <laughs> Wendy goes out and makes up her mind that they're gonna leave they're gonna leave she needs to get danny to a hospital or a doctor right he is no longer danny he is just tony so danny is not available to talk to mrs torrance (laughs) and he talks in a voice like this mrs torrance he's not available mrs torrance you know all of that stuff he's eating cereal or whatever watching cartoons in their apartment she goes i'll be back in five minutes Takes her a little bit more than five minutes. She goes to find Jack. He didn't come home to the apartment the night before, so she goes. She has to go and find him. She has a bat with her in case the crazy lady is around. And she goes up to his desk or his table or whatever. It's a very tense moment, very slow, very methodical. And starts discovering that all of his writing isn't actually writing. This is where you get all of the printed words of... All work and no play make Jack a dull boy. And it's just pages and pages and pages of that. Somebody had to write all that or like type all that or just think about. And it's just it's pages so, and pages of it. It's so weird too because it's in paragraphs. It's mm-hmm. in uh, part of it looked like poetry. It was mm-hmm. in stanzas. Like it was so. It's crazy. Unsettling. It's a crazy person's writing. Yes, it is literally a crazy person's writing. She recognizes this fact. Her. Eyes get wide, and all of a sudden, he's behind her going, you know, what what, what are you doing, Wendy? Like, what is... And so she turns and is like, well, we're going. We need to go get the... We need to get him to whatever. You can stay here, but I need to take our son to the doctor. And he goes, well, good luck with that. And so that is the first inkling that he has destroyed... The snowcat. The snowcat. And so she's kind of freaking out, backs up. He kind of is like, well, put the bat down. Give me the bat. He's walking towards her and he says something along the lines of, Wendy, give me the bat. I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to bash your brains in. And around that time, uh, they're slowly walking. She's backing up up the stairs and he's trying to creep up towards her. Trying to get, It feels like he's trying to get close enough to snatch the bat away. And she whacks him in the head really hard. And it's uh, it looks really painful. He falls down a couple of steps and knocked out. We both made sounds at that point. His was, ugh, because it just looked super painful. And mine was like, yeah, because she's finally standing up for what, I mean, it took her a lot of courage to go find him to say, hey, we're leaving. And then all of a sudden, she's taking matters into her own hands. Before he comes to, she ends up dragging him. She's very much She's very much Shelly Duvall. There's She's a reason tiny. she was cast as olive oil. She is a skinny, tiny, tiny, tiny woman. tiny woman. And so she's dragging him to the dry walk-in. So it's not the, f- the, the refrigerated compartment. It's not the freezer. But it's this walk-in that she can lock with the bolt. 
Uh, how do we know she can lock him in? Well, because it takes her five minutes to open the dang <laughs> thing to begin with. So she figured out the bolt. She she's he starts coming to, and you're like, oh lord. So he starts grabbing at her, but he he's not come to enough to prevent what's happening. So she, it just in the nick of time, gets him kind of locked into the space. He's in there with food. She's not mean. He can drink all the tang he wants. Uh, Assuming there's water as well. Well, yeah, but there's just a there's lot of tons tank. of stuff in there for him to eat. Like Apricot. she locks him in there. Assuming that the only one's there, so it makes sense. Yeah, I'm tired. I need some sleep. So she drags him in there, locks him in. There's a great shot of Jack Nicholson filmed from below as he's trying to convince her to let him out. I, I promise out none. No more of that. I, I just let me out. Just let me out. And she's like. No, we're good. She steals a knife from the kitchen, which is much better than a bat. Although the mm. bat did get the job done, I'm mm -hmm. just saying. So she goes back up to the apartment with Danny. Well, first she goes and checks the snow cat, right? So she goes and checks the snow cat, finds out that it's inoperable, goes back to Danny and locks herself in with Danny because what else is she going to do? The radio is not working. The phone lines are down. There's no snow cat. She's locked Jack in a space, so there's one locked door. She locks the apartment just in case he finds a way through the ceiling or whatever. That's not what he does. But she has two locked doors in between her and him. So she, exhausted from all of that, goes to sleep, and we see Danny hovering over her. Saying the famous the red rom. Red rom, red, red rom. rom. Picks up her knife, goes to slice his finger open. I went... <sighs> Because it was just not... Ugh. Blood just, elevators all day, every day. Watching a kid cut his finger on a sharp blade. No. No. Can't do it. But he doesn't cut his finger. He does Instead, he, went, he goes and grabs her red lipstick and writes red rum on, on the, door. the bathroom door. And then she wakes up and sees him with a knife and gets it from him. And looks into the mirror where it says, Murder! Because red rum backwards is murder. And another thing for your theme night, if you want to do it is Red Rum Punch. There's about a million different recipes and recipes online. I thought I was clever, and I typed it in and was like, no, oh, everybody else is clever too. Okay. Uh, red Rum, Red Rum is a very big thing. So while that's happening, Jack wakes up, and Grady starts talking to him outside the door, and he agrees that he will let him out. Grady is the ghost, the by go the way. Ghost Grady. But apparently he's a corporal ghost that yeah. has the ability to take out the bolt to the lock-in. Better the than she did. Uh, anyway, yep. uh, so yeah, uh, they let him out, and I think he makes him promise that he's going to kill them. And he finds a fire axe that's in the hotel and starts slowly making his way up there because his leg was hurt during the thing, so he's kind of dragging a little bit. Yeah. He wakes her up with red rum, red rum, and she's like, what is it, what is it, what is it? She sees murder. As soon as she recognizes that the word red rum is murder backwards, you hear Jack hacking his way into the apartment. So she screams, of course, because, yes. And she grabs the knife, grabs Danny, goes into the bathroom with the tiniest window ever, shoves him out of it. He goes down. There's... It's, they're on the third floor, but there's so much snow, it's built in. A, like ramp or a hill up right. to the third floor window where he can just easily slide down. She tries climbing out of it, but she's too big, even for the even for the fact that she's so tiny. I mean, she's a fully grown. I'm surprised that Danny got through. Yeah. So he slides down, and there's this great shot of him just standing at the base of this kind of ramp slide snow thing that he just shot down, and he's just standing there looking up at this window, and all the rest of the windows are dark, and it's just this tiny, tiny window up at the top of the the snow ramp, and he's just standing there waiting for his mother to come out. Jack starts hacking into the bathroom door. She's screaming incessantly. She's holding the knife. You've seen it. He sticks his face through and says, says Here's Johnny. Great line. Iconic. Mm -hmm. It's a pop culture reference that now I'm not sure the actual reference is what people understand it to be. It, it's from, of course, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. But, I mean, if you ask anybody who doesn't really remember Johnny Carson, what's here is Johnny. It's 
They're the going to sight the shining. Yeah. Before he breaks through the door with the axe, she tells him, run and hide. So Danny goes back into the hotel, finds a little cubby space to, to hold himself up into, shuts the thing. He... He's almost through. She cuts his hand right away. Right. So she reaches in, or he reaches in, excuse me, to unlock the door so he can get in easier and doesn't have to keep hatcheting the door. And he reaches in to unlock it or to turn the knob or whatever, and she takes the knife and just kind of paper cuts him. And he reacts so hilariously to this. He's just, the audacity. Like, you're coming at her with an axe, bro. Like, what... If anybody should be appalled, it's her. And she is. Don't get me wrong. Like, she is damseling in distress as hard as she can. But, yeah, his... Re- How? Why would you hurt... Like, I don't know what he says, but it's definitely, like, that fake aghastness. I don't know how to describe it. It just was comical to me. They hear a snowcat pull up. Hey, it's Halloran. So, Jack runs out to go deal with that and Halloran starts coming into the door and you get this great shot uh so one of the cool things about this film like just historically is one of the first films to use a steady cam so you get these nice long shots where the camera is moving in at like a, a walking speed without having to be on a rail system so you can kind of turn corners and stuff if you want to but that's not really what we're doing right here right now though it's just a straight great shot of Halloran walking through this hallway that's lit brightly but there's still these huge shadows caused by the columns and stuff uh there is a a little camera effect in here that is a problem where the camera the lights from one of the chandeliers is reflecting into the lens of the camera causing a lens flare which dances on the back of Halloran for most of that scene which was I didn't notice it it was annoying for me (laughs) but so Halloran's walking through the hall and there's this pillar there so he doesn't know and Jack pops around from the pillar and hits him in the chest with the axe and kills him no hello or nothing and from my understanding in the book he actually did not die like he he lived through that so I would like to like I kind of want to read the book now to see other differences. I do too because of what you said, Stephen King's criticisms of the Wendy character. Because Mm -hmm. I absolutely hated the Wendy character in this movie. She just has no backbone. And I mean, I understand, like, that's what she was supposed to be portraying. And she did that really well. To the point she, where she I was plays like, the role Girl. that they wrote really well, but from my understanding, Stephen King's like that's not the character I wrote. Yeah, it's way too timid, way too. And it, I want I want to read what he wrote. So back to the story, Danny hears him attack Halloran and pops out of his hiding space, which is not that far from where Jack is. So Jack sees him. Danny starts running. Danny runs outside to the hedge maze. Interesting fact, that scene where he's looking down into the this... Hedge maze ma- model? The model of the hedge maze. And he it looks like he's watching Wendy and Danny in the hedge maze itself, like he's God. He wasn't actually in the hedge maze. He doesn't know the hedge maze as well as Danny does because Danny went through it with his mom. So that's a very important plot point because it's... Literally what saves him. He goes into the hedge maze, running away from his dad. His dad goes in there with him. Calling after him the whole time, chasing him with the the axe. Right, and there's snow. So he's following the footprints, and he's like, I'm right behind you, Danny. I'm, Danny, I'm coming. And Danny has this really cool moment that, I mean, it's a little too slow for me. I'm like, hurry up, he's coming! Just because of the tense nature of this scene. But he walks backwards into, like, he's very, very careful to walk back into his own footprints. And then he kind of scoots off the path on his knees and then uses his hand to cover up the tracks of his knees and kind of hides until his dad finds the dead end. He's screaming, Danny! Danny, where are you? Danny, once he is past, starts following the footsteps back outside the hedge maze. So he's a very clever boy. I don't think he's more than six or seven. Yeah. During this time, Wendy is also coming down and we start seeing, she starts seeing things. There's the scene with the dog costume person, which... Is. Totally random, unless you've read the book, apparently. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I haven't read the book before, so I'm curious as to what that is. Is this the, is this the first furry in film history? I think so. <laughs> uh, it was off, off-putting, no matter what oh, it yes, was. Yes, definitely. Not that furries are off-putting, just this particular one had a very odd costume. I mean, you do you, boo. But I did not enjoy that scene. It was strange. 
Danny comes out. Wendy's coming out around. She sees the snowcat. She basically throws him into the snowcat. Jack is, you know, hollering in the hedge maze, Wendy! And he's getting more slurred and slowing down. Yes. And, of course, there's this moment where she turns the key to the ignition and it's not turning over. And so you're panicking, like, oh my god, no! And she finally gets it to turn over. Jack hears this and is like, Wendy, wait for me! And she doesn't, of course, because why would she? And they theoretically go off and rescue themselves by way of Halloran's snowcat. Well, we, we might get to find out what happened to them if we watch Doctor Sleep, which was the sequel made last year to this movie. But the last scene we get to see is... The funniest. The odd. It's it's odd. I'm not even sure it if I like this, this shot. Hilarious. So it flashes to, like, he starts slowing down. He kind of sits down to take a break, but that break ends up lasting too long. Forever. Because in the morning, it cuts to... Him frozen. Him frozen with his eyes half open. You've and seen the meme picture at this point. If oh my else. god. And I didn't know that that was from The Shining. And so I just found it comical. I could not stop laughing. So then we get to see the camera go back into the hotel and start zooming in on a picture on the wall. And you get closer to it and it's, oh, it's Jack in front of this huge party. Of all these people in their uh, uh, tucks and tails kind of outfits. And, and I don't know if you did, but I was searching the faces of everybody else. To see else. if you could see if anybody else was there. Right. Was like, well. I was looking for Wendy. Like, is Wendy a reincarnation? I was trying to find Lloyd. I don't know if he's in the picture or not. He I might be in the background. I probably could have looked that up before. Uh, so, and they do, like, a three cut of it, where every time you get a little bit closer and a little bit closer, and I'm like, why not just pan over to, or pan down to Jack to, you know, have him in frame, but they, they cut it. It's just an odd cut in it. But you also see that it's July 4th, 1920. And so that's where you cut out. That that's the end of the movie. Is the question, you know, was Jack a ghost? No, he wasn't a ghost. He was a real person. Was he a reincarnated ghost? And it goes back to that part where he's like, I I felt like I was at home or whatever when I first stepped into the right. hotel. Everybody's had deja vu, but this was something more. Mm-hmm. Is I think what he said. But we forgot a very important part. What's that? About the Overlook. It was built. On an Indian burial ground. On an Indian burial ground. So there's that trope, right? If you're a fan of 70s and 80s horror films, then you've seen this or heard this thing a million times. The Indian burial ground is always going to have spooky ghosty stuff, so... Yes. And I was confused as to why July 4th and not, like, a New Year's Eve party. Because it's during the winter's month, or winter's... Winter months... There you go. That's where that S goes. It was during the winter months. And why wouldn't it be a New Year's party you came up with? Well, there's um, just the fact that it's very an Indian burial ground. And that they do talk about when they're kind of showing off the hotel to Jack that, you know, they had to fight off Indian attacks that were trying to come. And they had to kill a bunch of Indians that way, too. Um, and that the, the, the fact that it's July 4th, kind of the birth of the country, there might be something tying that together or something like... They're being trapped there. Maybe these were the people that murdered the Indians and they were trapped there. And But again, this is all this speculation is... because it's not spelled out for us. Which yeah, I enjoy until you get to the dog face man. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, I'm going to need a little bit more here. Like, what is this? I think it was a nod to Stephen King because that came from the book. People say that it is explained better in the book. But, of course, through film, you only have a... It was already two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. There's not space to explain that better. And so I feel if you can't explain it better than you did, don't have it in there. And I, I feel like it was one of those things that uh, Kubrick kind of put in there just because as a way to weird, make it just a, another level of weird on there. Another, another sousson of strange. <laughs> sousson of strange. I like that. Um, That's what we should have named our podcast. <laughs> Dang Sousant it! Strange. I don't even. I'm not even sure if I know what Sousant means. I think it just means like a pinch or something. But anyway, so uh, that was The Shining. Yes. Was there anything else you want to talk about about The Shining? Really cool shots. The mirror shot was my favorite. Beautiful cinematography. Uh, headshot, like the colors, the set, the fashion with the Apollo sweater. 
The only criticism about the set was the penis carpet. Did not enjoy... I mean, maybe it was a honeymoon suite. Oh, when we were talking about room 237, I got goosebumps because it just now dawned on me that 237 is probably where he stacked them neatly. Yeah. Like, I... That's what I figured, but I... I, Or he killed himself there, but um, I figured that's where he... I did not have grasp of that until this conversation right now. (laughs) So I got goosebumps because, like I said, it doesn't beat you over the head with the symbolism, which is appreciated. So I had seen this movie once before when I was, uh, like, 16 or 15, 17, somewhere around there. Um, and I didn't really enjoy it. I, I, it was one of those I recognized, okay, this is a well-made movie, but it's not really doing much for me. But this time it really did. I, was, I hardly even took any notes. I just got so wrapped up in watching this movie and, like, looking at it, just it kind of enveloping me. It's, uh, it's a beautiful-looking movie. It's really cool. Um, and what the strangest thing for me is that, reading about the history of it, this movie was hated when it first came out. Critics disliked it immensely this was the first year the razzies uh existed and it was nominated for worst director and worst worst actress which i love shelly duvall but i can see where people would be a little upset with her portrayal her running out of the hotel it's like she forgot she had arms they were flailing about she had a knife in her hand and i was like you're going to cut yourself screaming incessantly violins a screaming it was just a lot. And then they put the dog face fan on top of that. Like, it was just oh, so I extra. Feel, I like, feel I so bad blaming her for that when right. you find out behind the scenes that Kubrick just tortured this poor woman for the entirety of this the shoot. They, they, she she knew she was working with a difficult director, but that, that doesn't excuse anything. Yeah. You know, I don't want to try to put any blame on Shelley Duvall. Uh, she, she made a great olive oil. Mm-hmm. I loved her in Popeye. She's, she's a good actress, She's uh, but and in this movie, I do like her. I think she does her role well. If it's an underwritten role, that's not her fault. Right. Um, I think she elevated an underwritten role to at least have a lot of... Is pathos the right word? <laughs> the kind of lack of presence that somebody who doesn't want to be noticed by their violent partner has. Yes. I, I concur. She played that part well. I am just, I watched it with modern filters, and so it kind I don't like that damsel in distress trope. I don't, and she played, she leaned so far into that at the end there, but ultimately she did get away. She got one good whack of the bat, which Mm -hmm. was very satisfying at that point, because she had just been yelled at, and she felt so small, and she literally made herself look so small as well. Another trope that I didn't enjoy was the black guy died first. Mm -hmm. Especially when in the book he didn't die at all. Right. That was hard for me to accept. And I, I, by that point, I loved him. Especially since he is so good. Like, he doesn't have a whole lot of scenes in this movie. But Scatman is just really endearing in this movie. He's a character you really like. Not at first, for me. I I liked him from the onset. He just, he's, he's a really, I wish he had more depth. I wish they had, you know, I would like to see maybe a short film or read a short story about who he was before, you know, and how the shining has he... affected his life. And, right. Um, no, no, he's just an interesting character that I would like Stephen to see Stephen King, of. if you're listening, get on that. And if you're also listening, send us a bunch of money. Yes, um, please. And stop using the N-word. Thanks. <laughs> so what did we think of this movie? Where are we going to rate it? One out of ten dog-faced men blowing a guy. <laughs> no? Okay. One out of ten... Uh, weird pattern, orange, uh, bathroom, no, uh, not bathroom, hallway, carpet, um, one out of ten, one out of ten, snow cats, uh, one out of ten knife drops, cause she kept dropping the knife and I kept screaming Well, she probably it. dropped it ten times, so then, um, <laughs> blood elevators, one out of ten blood elevators. One out of ten blood elevators, sure. Alright, blood elevators. What are you raking it? You go first. I, like I said before, I'd seen it once before and wasn't horribly impressed with it. This time, oh my god, this movie is really good. Uh, we rented it and I kind of wish we had bought it so I could watch it more often. This was a really good movie. I, I kind of want to know how it will affect me again when I watch it. Be, but having watched it this time and only one time before, 
It's a 10 out of 10. This is such a good movie. 10 out of 10 blood elevators. This is the part where you're going to get to write angry tweets at MurderSheDon't1 at Twitter. Or on on the Twitter. On the tweets. On the twits. On the tweetsers. I do not rank it that high. Last week I gave The Thing a 6. I enjoyed that movie so much for what it wasn't with its Six out of 10 tendrils. Oh, tendrils. (laughs) But yeah, I I enjoyed that movie a lot more because of the tropes that it avoided. Mm -hmm. This one, and maybe it's because people think of it as the quintessential horror movie. Like when they think of horror movies, they think of The Shining. And maybe that's where the tropes began. But maybe if I hadn't been spoiled by all of the pop culture references, maybe if I hadn't been spoiled by all of the lesser films tropes before watching this one... It would be higher, but I'm... Can I do four and a half blood elevators? Like No, no. We've got a number. That would be 20 rankings there. Like, <laughs> then, then you've just made a scale out of one out of 20. Okay, fine. That's insane. Okay, fine. Um, Then, yeah, I'm going to stick with four blood elevators. Boo this woman. Boo. <laughs> Boo. Okay, I don't like horror films, and if this is a quintessential horror film, I'm not meant to like it. So, she's wrong about this one, uh, but next week, do we want to do Doctor Sleep, the sequel to this? I am curious. Uh, Yeah, I'm down to watch the sequel. All right, Maybe so it'll next be week better. we'll be doing... Uh, Maybe it's going to be a Toy Story 2 situation. Ugh, don't get me in the fight on that again, all right? Uh, so, yes, yeah, so if you want to contact <laughs> us, then you can always connect with us, like I said, on uh, Twitter at uh, Murder She Don't, uh, no apostrophe before the T, one, the number one. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, follow us there. Uh, we'll post when we put up a new episode. and We might do polls when we don't have it figured out of what movie we're going to watch. We might put up options and see what you guys want to hear us review. You can listen to us across six platforms at this point. We are adding more as we go. So thank you for listening and... um...